0: It's important to understand that is that we can misunderstand what the Bible translators were trying to do when they said the word blessed. Because I think when you and I see the word blessed, I think that's not what the Bible translators intended, but what we tend to think of today is that if we do this thing, God will bless us. I think that's what we typically, and that's not what the Bible translators were trying to say. They were trying to communicate, and our translations are great, but what they're trying to do is say, this is the state Of being in a a blessed or flourishing or happy place. That is related to God for sure, but it's not saying, if you do this, God will bless you, and I want to show you that. But here's the big question if you look over these nine statements that Jesus is giving, describing what the state of flourishing is like, is there anything that ties them all together? Because we could easily spend nine weeks, Pastor Kyle, get up here, and easily spend nine weeks going through each of these nine Beatitudes, and that would be great. But when we look at them all together, what do we see? And I'm, I'm serious, take a second. <laughs> look through them. Is there anything that ties them all together? Well, I'd like to sum it up for you this way. That The door into true flourishing is very low and cross-shaped. The door into human flourishing is very low and it's cross-shaped. Our tendency and our expectation is that if this wise teacher is going to get up there and say, I'm going to tell you what true flourishing is like, I think we expect him to say something like, Believe in yourself. You can do it. You go, girl, whatever it is. We're expecting these statements, or flourishing is when your children are all happy and you have a great job, or whatever else you would fill in, and whatever else the world would fill in. What we don't expect is that everything Jesus says here is shockingly negative. Look at them again. Poor in spirit. That's a poverty of spirit. This, is, this means that someone in our heart is actually experiencing a brokenness and a loss. Look at the next one, mourning. Flourishing are those who are mourning. That means you're aware of the the grief and sadness, maybe of brokenness in your own life, maybe brokenness because of your sin, maybe brokenness in relationships or things that have happened to others, and also especially brokenness, the suffering, the mourning you feel for the brokenness of the world itself. That when you look upon the world and you see sex trafficking, and cancers, and injustice of all sorts, that you feel that. And Jesus says that's a state of flourishing. Humble. I know you and I think of humility as a positive thing, but when he says flourishing of the the humble, that's unexpected because this means a truly humble person doesn't get the, the honor they deserve. They're not seeking out their own honor. They're actually putting others ahead of them in service. When he says flourishing are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you and I might think that sounds positive, but those are negative images. Hungering and thirsting. That means you feel the lack. You are longing for God to come and set the world to right. Flourishing are the merciful. You know what it means to be merciful? It means a couple of things. It means especially when you have been wronged by someone whether it's physical or usually it's psychological wrong that by the grace of God you get to the point where you actually forgive someone which is a spiritual act that is a that's a loss on your part you don't get what you deserve in the sense of the justice maybe but this this is this is a place of happiness when you are actually letting other people go even when they've wronged you peacemaking this means again giving up your rights a lot of times maybe in an argument with your spouse or someone else you don't to say to yourself i don't need to win here i'm going to make peace because that is more important than winning or being right Jesus says that place of losing something is actually the place of happiness. And if you don't think I'm, if you think I'm just making this up, this is how it ends. Look at the last, the last beatitude. You're happy when you're persecuted, reviled, slandered, and misrepresented. How many of you like that? <laughs> how many of you like to be slandered, misrepresented? I'm an Enneagram 3, but I don't think it's just me, that when I say that there's nothing that presses my buttons more or hurts my heart more, To feel like someone has spoken not true of me in an an ill way. That just crushes me. And Jesus says that is the place of true happiness. So what is going on? Jesus is radically seeking to reorient our whole values, our understanding of the world, our understanding of this thing that drives us. How do you find true peace and flourishing and shalom in your life? By saying to us that the door into that true life that you long for is very low and cross-shaped. Jesus is saying, do you want to know the answer to the question that is driving all that you do? It's found in his own way, what he teaches and what he models. Forgiving others, being humble, being a peacemaker, being merciful, experiencing the longing and the loss of of seeking for God to set the world to right, enduring malignment and misrepresentation for the sake of Christ. These are Jesus's vision for true human flourishing. It's crazy. It all is so much the opposite. It's what our souls and our bodies scream is not true, not right. But Jesus is saying that though these ways are very unnatural to us in our human brokenness and sinfulness, they are, in the great paradox of the truth of Christianity and Jesus himself, they are the way to life. And have you ever asked yourself what the second half of these Beatitudes are doing? Like we we just said that those are all statements, shocking statements of happiness But this is where the second half of them matters. Because in every case, the second half of each of these beatitudes explain why what Jesus said is not crazy. Look at them again. Starting in verse three. Flourishing of the poor in spirit, why? Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing of the mourners, because they will be comforted. Flourishing are the humble. Maybe it says for, but this is because or four, but this what this means They will inherit the world. Flourishing of the ones hungry and thirsting, because they will be satisfied. Flourishing of the merciful, because they will be given mercy. Flourishing of the pure in heart, because they will see God. Flourishing of the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. Flourishing of the ones persecuted on account of righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing as it when people revile you. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad because your reward is great. Do you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to find comfort from God himself? Do you want to inherit the world? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be given mercy? Do you want to see God? Do you want to be called the children of God? Do you want to have great reward in heaven? Yes, we all do. And the reason Jesus can say that the door into true life is low and cross-shaped is because of what he promises that as we follow in his way, That is where we will find life from God himself. You see, I know it sounds odd to talk about Christianity as about being happiness because the first thing in us says, what about self-denial? Well, this is where this comes back in. Jesus does not appeal to us to become his disciples, to adopt his way of being out of sheer duty. God never says to us, I'm God, you just do what I said, and that's it. Every time God commands us to do something, prohibits us from doing something, it's always with a promise that in his way you will find life. And when you don't go in his way, you will not find life. God is not relating to us just through duty. He is inviting us constantly to reorient our lives around him and his teachings ultimately manifested in Jesus Christ because there alone we will only find life. Every one of God's promises are what motivate his calls to our, off to our lives. As I often say at my church, and I say to my children as well, do you know what really motivates us? It's not duty, it's beauty. And this is the motivation that Christ is giving us in this first of his sermons. He's saying, I am inviting you to retool how you think about what you really long for, to adopt his ways because that is the way of beauty that will promise and give you life from God himself. Of course, there's a place for self-denial, for cross-bearing, as Jesus indicates here and and other places. He's the ultimate model of that. But you have to understand that the motivation for self-denial in our lives is always based on the appeal that on the other side of that we'll find true life. In fact, that was true for Jesus himself. Do you know what the book of Hebrews says? Why did Jesus himself endure the cross in all its shame? Do you remember? Anybody? Why did Jesus endure the cross in all its shame? For the joy set before him. And that is how he motivates us as well to say there is joy, there is life on the other side of suffering. And so too here, friends, this is what Christ's Beatitudes are. They are Jesus, the wise teacher from God, the Son of God incarnate, offering us a vision for where life is to be found. And it's a shocking answer. It's found in living in this way of humility and the way of the cross and he is seeking to reshape our values, our habits, our loves, our customs around this reality, that we are all motivated to find our true happiness. And he's saying, that's not a bad motive, but I wanna show you that the way to find it is not in what anybody else in the world is offering, but in adopting his way. And so just to conclude this, we can return to my dear Hindu friend's question when he asked me, how do you be happy as a Christian? Well, my answer to him on that day was as unexpected to him as it was to me, that the door to happiness is very low and cross-shaped. It's not the answer that other world religions or philosophies are going to give you, that life comes through suffering. But of course, Doing the Beatitudes isn't going to solve all of our problems instantly, but this is the way of following Christ. And so let me just conclude this by reminding you of something, that you really can't know something until you start doing it. So of my six kids, six of them have successfully graduated from the Jonathan Pennington School of Driving, and you know, I've taught six kids to drive. I mean, yeah, there've been a few accidents on the way, believe me, but they've all learned to drive, and, but only one of them has learned to drive a stick shift because of a brief time where we had this, this car. But driving any car, or especially driving a stick shift, is such a good example you can read about it, you can observe it, but you don't really know how to drive until you get behind the wheel and do it. And that's true for all driving, but if you drive a manual transmission, you know it's especially, there's nothing like the feeling of being on a hill, the car dies, you're starting to roll backwards, you gotta throw it into first and get it, can I get a witness? You know I, mean? I mean, that's a particular feeling that is unlike any other, but you, and if you haven't had that, you don't know what we're talking about. You can just imagine it, but once you've actually experienced it, well, friends, that's true of everything. Riding a horse, writing a book, running a company, roofing a house, putting in an IV, everything you do, you can know about it, but it's not until you actually start to do it that you can really know what it is. And so my simple invitation to you today is to read these Beatitudes and try to live in Christ's way and see what happens. To lean into being a person of mercy, a peacemaker, humble Lean in to being involved in setting the world to right, which is Christ's work as well. And you will find, shockingly, that that's where life and true flourishing is to be found. Let me pray for us. We thank you, our Father, for overabundant kindness that you have given us this day of breath. And I pray that you would now breathe your breath upon us anew. Fill us with your spirit. Increase our joy. Increase our hope. Increase our love. Bless these people. Bless these children. Bless these parents. Bless these grandparents. Bless all those here today with the filling of your very self that we might taste and see your goodness. We pray these things in Christ's name.